All right, back on the show. Really appreciate our conversations. Nick Knudsen from Read and Reaction, co-host of Stand Up and Holler. It's been a while, Nick. How you doing, buddy? I'm doing well, Mike. Doing well, man. I, I, we were talking a little bit before the show. You and Cousin Shane are all over the place. You guys are doing big things. Really enjoy keeping up with you guys. So it's a pleasure to be back on. Yeah, absolutely. And, uh, you know, like I was telling you off air, I mean, there's there's just so much negativity right now with uh, with Florida, and, and it may not necessarily even be within the fan base, but just kind of outside. Everybody's waiting for Billy Napier to get fired and all this. But I'm trying to I'm trying to be optimistic, and and I know if you look at my Twitter feed, <laughs> that may surprise you, Nick. But uh, I am a little bit higher on the Florida Gators than most. I just put out my my updated SEC power rankings. I got Florida number ten, which that's not where. Florida should be historically, but I, th- I think that's a lot higher than, than many people will have them. Uh, you know, are you optimistic at all? Can, can you give us some reasons going into year three of Billy Napier of why Gator fans should be fired up for the upcoming season? Well, I, I do think that it is a slow, slow moving built right now. And this is something that I don't want to sell people on anything. Everything, the thing that you can look at right now is through two years of Billy Napier, pretty much any critique you want to make, it's, yes, yes, there's there's probably a, a valid point to make on certain things. Like, there's been sloppy game day operations. There's been disappointing moments. There's been, uh, you know, it seems like this team is almost allergic to momentum, sustaining momentum at times. So, uh, maybe sorry for adding to the pessimism, pessimism right now. Uh, I like to think I'm a relatively optimistic guy. Uh, I'll tell Will Miles to calm down, my co-host Will Miles, to calm down with all that pessimism. No, man, Will just needs to chill out, dude. He needs to relax. Uh, but it, it, it's a tough situation right now for Florida. It's it's kind of the, uh, the perfect storm. In, in, if you look at the history of Florida football where – Historically, if you go back to the pre-Spurrier years, there were a lot of difficult years. There were a lot of years where it, you're chasing the Georges of the world. You're, you're that kind of second-tier SEC program. But when Spurrier entered the scene in 1990, that shifted. But and, and that's where the standard has been. And that's where it should be for Florida football. That's where we believe it belongs. And you know, when you stop believing, why, why should you occupy that top spot? Of course, we're going to continue to believe that because we're going to keep striving toward that and see when we can get back there. It's going to be a matter of when. It's not if, it's when. you got to keep having that attitude. But people can look at it right now and say, yeah, but it's nowhere close. And, and so those voices are, are telling the truth right now as well. So while... I do want to be optimistic, and you could look at a guy coming on campus by the name of DJ Lagway. There's plenty of reason for op- optimism because you got the right guy at the right position coming in there. There's a lot of reasons for concern for the current uh, addition to the Gators, not to mention we are in the middle of what might be one of the toughest stretches of schedules, top to bottom, in Florida Gator football history for entering into 2024. Yeah, I'm glad you you went there because I I did want to ask you what in the hell is up with the schedule? Is it all Scott Strickland? I mean, for for the for my entire life, Nick, it's so. the Gators didn't play anybody in the non conference outside of Florida State. They never left the state. All of a sudden, they ramp up the schedule. Just I I realize you can't foresee how your 
team and your program's going to be, but it's just, it's like hitting all at the wrong time with, where the schedule's beefing up, when the program's down, while, while there's all these doubters. Um, what, what is up with this ridiculous schedule? Well, I'm the wrong guy to ask about this because I'm super competitive. So I love seeing Florida go play in places they've never played before. I always found the three non-conference games a year that were a total joke to be ridiculous. And I think we're, it doesn't befit a program like Florida. There should be at least one. You know, I look at a school, uh, you know, my family's from Ohio. I grew up watching a lot of Ohio State football. They go out and they play one tough, tough non-conference game every year. Now, the flip side of that, as you can say, they don't turn around and play stretches like Georgia, LSU, and Auburn in an SEC slate, right? That There's not a lot of that going on in the Big Ten. But they always get out there at least once and play a tough non-conference game. But just from an entertainment standpoint, too, like I love the road trip to Utah. The concept of it didn't like the actual game this year. wasn't a fun game to watch. But we had, we had a great time when they came to the Swamp. So there are big moments. I know down the road, before Texas joined the SEC, Texas was we we're going to do a home-and-home home with Texas. There's a home-and-home home with Notre Dame down the road. And you already have Florida State year-to-year. Year. So some teams... You know, you look up in Athens, they didn't, who did they play in the non-conference? I know Oklahoma dropped off the schedule, but they didn't exactly go fill it with anyone last year. So there are some years where you see some big schools in the SEC play nobody in the non-conference. Florida has always had that Florida State game at the end of the year. And that's a tough, that's always a tough game. That's a tough rivalry game. So even when one of those schools is down, that's usually a relatively competitive, hard-fought game either way. So I, I personally like that we've ramped up these schedules, but you combine it with the fact that the SEC expanded and you're adding Texas and Oklahoma, and now we have a road game at Texas. That November stretch there, that Georgia, it's like, it's uh, I, I believe Georgia at Texas, LSU comes to the swamp, Ole Miss comes to the swamp, and then you go on the road to Florida State. Woo! Mm-hmm. Woo! And, and I'll tell you, like, <laughs> take how many years has – Old Miss football existed, like maybe take every year except maybe 10 years in their history, and that's a pretty favorable matchup most years. This isn't one of them right now. That's a tough, that's a tough, tough game coming into the swamp. But hey, look, I, for all the negativity around Florida, you look at a game like LSU. Florida was in the game against LSU last year, despite playing almost no no defense and handing Jaden Daniels a Heisman uh in that game. You're right in the hunt against Missouri. That South Carolina game went down to the wire. So we came out on top of that. Arkansas went down the wire, lost that one as well. So we we had a lot of close games that went down the wire. Even FSU, you look at that FSU game, we were up at halftime in that game. So it wasn't like this team just walked out. Like the last year Mullen was here, the end of 21, we had a couple games that were just disgusting and non-competitive and embarrassing. And we definitely had a couple of embarrassing losses this year. But there were in those games, there were mo- there were plenty of moments of fight. And I know that you don't hang, hang banners for that type of thing at the University of Florida. The standard is much higher at the University of Florida. But it's something that if they keep if they, they, they keep grinding and building this roster, maybe those tight results start to flip. And that's that that that's where you start to see the the breakthrough. Right, and, and I think lost in Florida's schedule, though, Nick, is just the first half where none of these games are guaranteed wins, but mm-hmm. you get a lot of them at home, Miami at home. Crystal Ball, I mean, he's he's on just as much a hot seat as Billy Napier. Yeah. Sanford at home, you know, that's a pick-your-score type game. A&M at home, Mike Ilko's first season. Again, not a guaranteed win, but 
conceivably, you know, Florida could win that game. At Mississippi State, I'd, I'd be shocked if Florida didn't win that game. Central Florida, you got two weeks to prepare for it. I mean, God forbid we lose that game. But, I mean, I, there's a realistic path here to where we're 5-0 and in Gainesville and then the trip to Tennessee. And Cousin Shane and I know all about Tennessee being favored. It don't matter if it's Tennessee's favored by a damn 100 points. They'll find a way to lose that damn game. So, I mean, <laughs> I realize, you know, 6-6 six and six, – even if they lost the last six, would be improving on last year, and that's not the standard. But I, I'm just looking at it, Nick, and I'm, I'm seeing, I'm seeing a path to to being the surprise of the SEC. Being this time last year, Nick, Missouri fans were out on drink. They hated Brady Cook. They wanted Sam Horn. Nobody knows who in the hell Sam Horn is now because Brady Cook broke out. Because now part of that maybe was was drink gave up the play calling duties and, and Billy Napier's. Has yet to do that, but and I know there's been some call for that, but I would argue Florida's offense wasn't the problem last year. So it I'm just seeing some similarities. I've heard the comparisons. Could Florida be this year's Missouri Tigers? There would have to be a lot that goes right for that time. Missouri had a great season this year. Uh I'm not I'm not one that's quick to give a lot of credit to Missouri either. I, I can't they just drive me nuts for some reason. I don't know. I should like them more than I do, but I think it's Drake. I think it's him. But yeah, he, uh, he he owns it at least. He owns it. But I I think that they've made that's a program. A couple of years ago, you look at where they were a couple of years ago and look at that season they had. Two years ago, you wouldn't have seen that season coming for Missouri, right? So things can shift quickly, and and you get a couple of the right pieces in place, it can shift quickly. But one of the things that Missouri does a lot better than Florida right now is they play they play a little bit of defense there. They play a little bit of defense up there, and that is something that has been completely absent from Florida football for the last five years. So it, you go back. I know Florida is known for its offense, but look at the d- defensive players that came out of the Spurrier years and Urban Meyer years. There, the defense was loaded too. I, it wasn't enough to just score 50. You, you expected to shut people out. <laughs> Those defenses were fantastic on top of that. And and the scores might be like a 50 to 20 or something. But, you know, sometimes those, those, those 21 points that are coming in the fourth quarter, like, you know, two touchdowns late in the fourth quarter when the game's out of hand. Like, you want to see the Gators get back to the point where they're playing very solid defense. And that is a path that needs to be proved. That, that is the thing that absolutely needs to be proven. I know last during the offseason, um, I don't even want to say his name. He's at Georgia now. He's the running back that went to Georgia there. It's a little bit of a betrayal, a little bit of a little bit of stop in the back there going to Georgia. I mean, go to anywhere else. Go to anywhere else. I like those old school rivalries in college football, but that kills me that that uh number seven went went up to Athens <laughs> there, Mike. But the running game is going to be fine. Like we have, like obviously, I don't think there's anyone with his level of talent in that running back room. But we have some good running backs, and there's some good young guys that people probably outside of Florida football don't know a lot about right now. We had a transfer come in last year, Cam Carroll from Tulane, who everyone was excited to see. Uh, I believe he tore his ACL in fall camp, so he's going to be back. Tran Webb's in, in. They got a kid out of Mississippi, Daniels. That's that looks like he could be interesting too. So the running back room, plenty of talent there. Graham Mertz, if you want to find a real optimistic angle here, something that Billy Napier seems to be doing well in his early years here, and, and I know Richardson was up and down. I think that's a Richardson thing. I think Richardson's raw. I think he he's still learning the game. That's his very first year in college starting. 
you know, I think you'll see some more up and down with him. We saw some up and down with him at Indianapolis for the little bit. We saw him last year. And I think we'll see more of that in his pro career. But Graham Mertz was a guy that came in from Wisconsin. And when we got him in the portal, my reaction was, what? Him? Him? We got Graham Mertz? Why? <laughs> and I'll tell you what. I, Napier did it, did good work with him. He he played good football. Now, Will Miles wrote a great article on Reading Reaction on our website, readingreaction.com, where it really illustrated the, the what Mertz needs to do better this year. And we really need to attack downfield. So I do think the play calling was protective of him. I do think that Napier put it in his head, don't make the big mistake. I, I think Will had charted out. He, had, he threw 31% of his passes behind the line of scrimmage last year. So it's a lot of side-to-side -side stuff. We have guys like Eugene Wilson, and we had guys like Ricky Pearsall on some quick passes last year where that worked to a point, but then there were some – it would be a whole quarter or two. It would be like a drought, right? So we didn't have that just – Boom, one play drive or that that you know big big play potential sitting there and that killed us some weeks. Like game like Tennessee, where everything's going right and we ran the ball well in that first half, and, and we get what do we do the second half on offense? Almost nothing. We just kind of ran the ball and grinded the clock out, right? So and and maybe that's all we needed to do, but with our defense last year, that certainly was a little nerve-wracking down the stretch in that game. So right. Well, and, and speaking of that defense. You know, I, I don't know if you would have characterized it like this, but I saw others that uh, hiring Austin Armstrong, some people said, you know, this will be the hire that defines Billy Napier's job in Gainesville and clearly didn't go so well year one. I don't I don't know how much of that is really on Armstrong. It's, it's more about the players than anything else. But year two with him, Ron Roberts bringing him on staff, who, who knows Napier, who knows Austin Armstrong. They've, they've all worked together. Now, kind of joining forces, being a, I believe he's co-defensive coordinator as well. What what does that do to the defense, and, and how big of a jump can this unit make in year two under Armstrong? Even if we are an average defense next year, that's really all we have to be to make a significant improvement. It's just average. We don't have to be a good defense. We don't have to be a great defense. We just have to be an average defense to really make a serious jump in, in year three with Napier. Because, I like you said too. I it, a lot of the conversation around Napier is that he should hire an offensive coordinator because the offense had struggled at times. But if you go back and actually look at the games, the offense is fine. We're fine on offense. Napier, I would argue, needs an offensive coordinator because we make too many. We're too sloppy in the game day operations, and he probably needs to be more of that CEO role and like get out of the play calling sheet and start paying attention to the bigger picture type of thing. That would be my critique on on him as the OC. But in, in paying more attention to the defensive side of the ball, there's no way you could be thinking about what you're calling on the next play and be totally plugged in on the defense at the same time. There's just no way. So just maybe just having that greater overview, it's okay to trust your guys, but especially when you bring in a young guy like Armstrong, and I see I see why they hired him. Like I see the the point, but it was really it, it felt like we didn't adjust super well at times last year. And maybe bringing Roberts in, you got that guy that with a little bit of seniority with familiarity with Armstrong and everything too, that they can work together pretty well and at least bring a little bit of enhancement. The other thing is that linebacker spot is going to be a lot different than it was this year. We got some really good young talent coming in at linebacker that I'm very anxious to see how they play, play out. And really a lot of the secondary has turned over as well. Uh, new coach, Will Harris came in 
and he is recruited very well in the secondary. They just picked up a commitment from uh, Washington safety. Asa Turner has got a lot of experience. They're bringing a lot of experience in that secondary. And that's something that has really bit Florida for years now. Just we've been a poor tackling team for years now. And even if we just do some fundamental things better, that will register as a significant improvement from what we've seen the last couple of years. Well, speaking of improvement, that's what we hope we're getting. Special teams hire Joe Houston. Mm-hmm. Still unclear on his role. If he's, I don't know if he's going to be a coordinator or analyst or, or what have you. But uh, I mean, they they literally can't get much worse on special teams. What what is the the sense that 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 unit will improve? Because hell, they had you know had they not made so many miscues on special teams, they would have made a bowl last year. Yeah, that was a frustrating one throughout the season, and that that's something that. If, if this is more just a generic observation here, but you, you tend to kind of know who a team is on special teams early on in the season. That's not something you tend to see like, oh, we were terrible on the punt unit early on, but we really got together on the punt unit. You kind of like are who you are. It's, there's just kind of like a like a character within the team that's gonna that shows early with special teams. You kind of know by September what your special team is gonna look like in November. Whereas you see a little more evolution on the offense and defensive side, and. There's a stupid mistake. The first game they come out and they have two guys on the punt return unit on a fourth down that have the number three jersey. And one of them, one of them is your one of your leaders on defense. You're wearing number three. One of them's a true freshman that's a wide receiver. And the other one's a, a experienced def- defender that you expect is going to be one of the leaders on your defense. And they're on the field at the same time. I don't know how that happens. I don't know how that happens at all. And, and so if you can't handle that type of thing, you'd like to see the Jersey numbers. Just nobody has the same Jersey. Let's just get, let's just move on from that stuff. This hundred guys wearing single digit Jersey numbers is insane. Like <laughs> let's get out away from this trend. But if you can handle it, great. If not, but we have, you know, 175 staff members. There's more staff members in the team photo than there are team, the actual team. So there's got to be one guy on the sideline that's going, hey, 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 like, I, I don't understand. So hopefully Joe Houston comes in and cleans some of that stuff up because he he seems like he's got a good track record with New England. And I know he was – it was under Joe Judge with the Patriots, if I'm not mistaken. Uh, but – so I, I don't know if he had the full role there. But he – it's a little vague to me because he's – it said senior analyst. So my understanding is that analyst, can they be on the sideline but not on a headset? I, I'm not totally clear on that, Mike. Maybe mm-hmm. you have more clarity, but I would hope he's at least on the sideline for game days. I because other otherwise we're kind of back at square one. Like maybe it's just more it's just a cleaner operation and they just simplify things during the week and they and maybe it runs cleaner, but um certainly they figured out the kicking game a little bit. Trey Smack was a significant improvement over Adam Mihalik. I, I know Smack is people think of him as the guy that missed the kick against Arkansas, but he was pretty solid for most of the season. That was one kick that he missed that registered but the rest of the season he had a pretty good year he missed a couple toward the end of the season but other than that really strong performance for most of the year from trace mack he was a definitely a big upgrade now i'm sure you saw these comments from uh scott strickland but he basically said you know there's no hot seat here billy napier not on the hot seat of course what what else is he gonna say because the moment they if they have to fire billy napier scott strickland's probably not far behind uh but do you do you believe Billy Napier's is on the hot seat based on on what you're? Because I mean, half the all these SEC fans, non Florida fans, they they the expectation is he will be fired. Not they're not even giving him a chance to prove himself. So 
you know, it it seems like Scott Strickland is way off base here by by those comments. But again, I I understand why he's got to say them. What what is the sense you get either from you or or the fans of of your show? Well, it, first off, there's a significant portion of the fans that talk that way, and, and really, I think we do make a lot of noise as a fan base. It's one of the reasons why we've chewed up and spit out coaches every three to four years for the last decade. You know, how's that going up in Knoxville, Mike? Like I, it doesn't <laughs> at some point, this, this is my only pushback on this. I'm, this is not a, a defensive Billy Napier. This is whoever is the coach of Florida right now. At some point, when do you look at this situation and say, we've been doing the same thing over and over again. It hasn't been working. We brought Napier in to build the program and to build it up. Now, he studied a certain school of doing things uh, and how you recruit, how you do things. He has proven he's getting guys in the door. Year number one, we get Rashad at a flip. Total disaster, NIL. All, all the rules are different, right? And our NIL team botches that completely. Botched that one completely. Big stain on the program, big stain on the Billy Napier, right? Whether it's fair or not, it is. Year two, great class in the works. And then the last month, you lose a third of your top guys out the door flipping somewhere. Now, that screams money to me that they're getting better money elsewhere, but that's probably not always the case in every situation. And you didn't keep – you couldn't salvage half of those guys? You couldn't salvage half? So there's another stain right there. And and so it's – the adjustment to NIL has been uh, uh, slippery at times where we haven't – we have not been solid across the board on that front. However – there are those top guys that are getting in the, in the door. Lagway and McCray, for example, two of the top five players, depending on the service you look at, coming in. Lagway, I think 24-7, called him the top quarterback. I'm not, I'm not sure about on three, but I know um, – did on three call him the top quarterback too this cycle? Did they just release – I think they're their adjusted ones they did. Yeah, so DJ Lagway was not the top quarterback early on, worked his way up. He's, he was he was in top tier, like he's borderline five-star for most of the process, but he wasn't that number one for most of the cycle. He gets that at the final ranking. So you you are getting that elite talent that Mullen did not bring in, that McAway struggled to bring in, and Muschamp did bring in, but only on one side of the ball on defense. So <laughs> we only saw that. He loved that defense. That defense is great. Jim McAway can thank Will Muschamp for uh, helping carry some years. And maybe a couple of those SEC championship runs could be attributed to some strong recruiting by Will Muschamp and, and uh, on the defensive side of the ball. But we haven't had that guy that's been the full package in since Urban Meyer left. And I think that Billy Napier, while you can criticize a lot on game day and you can criticize some of the approach, I know his press conferences are not going to win anybody over. There was times last year. That was the probably thing I'm most critical of is I'm like, man, some of these press conferences, I feel like I need to slap a White House logo back there. <laughs> like, what are you talking about? And like some of this stuff, I want to see a little more honesty. Just be a little more like don't be defensive. when I, If you have three terrible special teams plays and you go to the press conference and the media says, hey, how about those three terrible special teams plays? <laughs> Don't say, can you tell me which ones you're talking about? Because then that's going to make everybody that wants to fire you say, look at this guy. He doesn't even know the three terrible special. And I don't think, I think there's a reason why he does that. I, I, I know he's not actually asking that question. I know he's pushing back on people. 
and he probably gets tired of dealing with like people too on on that front where uh, it, it is funny that like how much those coaches have to deal with just people who don't know anywhere close to them, just questioning them constantly on everything. <laughs> That's got to be, imagine your job, people coming to you, Mike, your microphone, what do you think about that? Like every day, they have no idea what a microphone does. So I understand the frustration and I empathize with it, but that's the job. That's what the job is. And that's like something where Spurrier would sit up there and crack a joke and be like, yeah, we are pretty terrible today. And people go, yeah. And Meyer would say something like, you know, that was awful. That'll never happen. That's a total embarrassment to the university of Florida. Right. So you're getting honesty from these guys when we're not performing where we should. And I think that's okay. And I think Napier, would be well served to lean into that a little more and be a little more open in that respect. Because if you're going to struggle, try to win some hearts and minds along the way. Because Billy Napier, I don't think anybody thinks Billy Napier is a bad guy. I don't think anybody's rooting actively against Billy Napier as a person. I, I, I think he's a great face for the school in a lot of ways, and I want him to succeed at Florida. But the results do have to follow. The other thing to consider, Mike, when this hot seat conversation – this is not the same hot seat conversation that, you, that you've had in the past. You can't just say, not, not working out, pay him the money, get a new guy in here, let's try again. Because Urban Meyer won that title in 2006. You come in, a lot of that roster was built by Ron Zook, right? Who was the starting quarterback in 2006? Everyone, Chris Leak, not Tim Tebow. Chris Leak, the quarterback that was recruited by Ron Zook, right, comes in. Ron Zook plays as a true freshman, one of the first true freshmen to start at Florida. And he had the benefit, Meyer had the benefit of some of those strong players that were brought in from Zook. How many players left Alabama when Saban leaves? And that's Saban, and that's Alabama. So mm -hmm. you're seeing Caleb Downs thinks, like, hey, good for him. He got probably got a solid deal going up to Ohio State there. But even Alabama loses coaches during turnover right now, so or loses players during its coaching turnover. So when you have a guy like DJ Lagway, you see one third-year class flip at the last second. You have a quarterback that's stuck with you through the whole cycle because he he clearly wants to play for for Napier. I know he's going to say Florida, but it's Napier. And if Napier goes out the door, you're you're going to watch that guy walk out the door too, and you're going to watch the little progress we've made so far get pushed back to zero and reset and restart. And maybe some people are okay with that. But to me, I would like to see the lagway experiment play out. I think that needs time. I think it's unrealistic to think that's going to be the full picture this freshman year. And I would, I would think by the time Georgia of 25 rolls around, we'll have a more complete picture of what the Billy Napier era is going to look like at Florida. And I, I would like to see that timeline. I would like to see, safe through 24, especially with this schedule. Go through and be honest with yourself as a Florida fan. How many guaranteed wins are on that schedule right now? How many guarantee that you'd be willing to bet a lot of money are guaranteed wins on that schedule right now? It's going to be tough. It's, it's going to be tough to measure it just by wins losses this year, which is a terrible thing to say. It hurts my heart to even say that, but you have to look at the bigger picture right now. And I think you have to look at this guy. DJ Lagway could be the thing that's keeping Billy Napier in business for that extra year. Let's see how that goes. Let's see where we're at. I would like to see a lot of DJ Lagway this year, though. If we're if we're three and three and Graham Mertz is rolling out as a starter, that's rough, Mike. We need to like 
I think lagway needs to be worked in as quickly as possible, even though the tone out of Gainesville is that Graham Mertz is the guy and lagway is going to sit and learn on under him, which there is some benefit to, but college football is different now. And I do think you need to get those younger guys in there quicker. And I, I hope to see that this year from Napier. Well, that being said, if you can't, you know, the record is not a great indication. What, what is it going to take for Billy Napier for his job to be secure and it doesn't have to be a record prediction or anything. Maybe is it an upset? Because it's short of that Tennessee game. Again, they own Tennessee. But <laughs> short of Tennessee, the his record in rivalries is, is pretty poor. Would it be pulling an upset in one of these rivalries? Will it be DJ Lagway flashing that he is this elite, elite prospect? What What was it going to take, you think, for, for Billy Napier to be the coach at Florida in 2025? Well, it, it, obviously, and look, when you just said that, like, I don't want my name to be attached to the record is not an indicator of performance. Obviously, it is, right? The record is obviously an indicator of performance, and you need to show some progress on that. But what? how do you define progress in, in a situation where you have this murderer's row of a schedule this year? If you're sitting there saying Billy Napier has to win nine games to keep his job, why are we even doing this? Like, let's just move on right now. Like, we're probably not winning nine this year. If we did, great. I'd be thrilled. I'd be celebrating with everybody else about it. But realistically, this we're playing a lot of schools that are contending that are solid college football playoff contenders. It's just how this is how deep this league is. It's a tough, tough league. And so if you look at the the bigger picture. And sit, I, I want to see where, where this is going. Let's see how this 25 recruiting class fills out. We're off, we got some good prospects in so far. There's a lot of top names still visiting and in the mix. So let's see if we can actually, let's see if we make progress in that department and actually keep them, right? This past year, we don't have a disaster that's going to get us on NCAA investigation, hopefully, but we did lose a third of the class, Mike, at the last minute. Can we fix that? Can Are there areas where we can make progress and it's a slow rebuild. And this is and this is coming from someone, I think the difference from what you'll hear from me and what you hear from other people, as a Florida fan, it breaks my heart to have to get this nuanced about it. Because it should just be wins and losses, right? It should. But there's I have you have to start looking at it this way because I accept the fact that we're not that program that won two national titles in three years. We're not that program right now. Mm-hmm. And we have a long road to get back to being that program. And I think you do have to keep that big picture in mind with especially a guy like Lagway. That's a guy that can be special. If we can show some progress this year on the field, be competitive in a lot of these games, I don't want to see the 700-yard Jaden Daniels game this year. Like, we can't have these embarrassments at all. Like, that's the part we can clean up. We might not win at the rate we want to. But are, are we showing progress on defense? Is Lagway looking really promising? Are some of these young guys looking great on the field? A couple more freshmen stepping in the way Trey Wilson stepped in last year. Do we see more impact players across the board coming in and that, that base of a roster really being built and Billy Napier's vision coming to fruition? Or do we see a lot of what we saw this year? Inconsistency, up and down, sloppiness, no seeming no, no plan week to week on who we are no identity or do we see more of that so we do have to see progress and we have to kind of know who we are who's going to be that core group going forward and what this team's going to what, what the vision is we have to start seeing that vision this year 
So do you think it is realistic, though, if it, if it is more the same as last year, very inconsistent, up and down, and mistakes killing the team, that uh, that Napier could get let go? Uh, sure, anything's possible. Anything's possible this year, and that's what I think uh, – I, I think a segment of our fan base would make the move tomorrow if you let them. But I'm I'm from the camp that I've seen this story. We've seen it with Muschamp. At the time, it made sense. We get a guy like McIlwain. Okay. Did you do you think that when we fired Will Muschamp, that most Gator fans were like, "I want to fire him to go hire Jim McIlwain. Let's do that." <laughs> and then Dan Mullen was a welcome addition because of his time at Florida, but he certainly was not the first choice. And we could have hired Dan Mullen at a couple other points along the way, and we didn't do it. So, again, not he was not the first option coming into Gainesville, but that's who we ended up with. And then Billy Napier this cycle. So you ask people, it's like, okay, so let's say you do fire Billy Napier. Let's say, let's go down that path. Who are you hiring? What's the short list? What's the short list tomorrow? Well, let's or okay, you don't have the names. Okay, let's uh let's Jet go. Fish. Yeah, Jetfish, <laughs> right. Jetfish. Let's go let's let's go uh name the traits and then you say, "Well, I'd like a, a coach that he's coached at some good programs as an assistant. Uh he 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 went off and proved himself in a higher role like an offensive coordinator somewhere and then he became a head coach at a smaller program and had some success for 4 years on and off the field." I'm like, "Okay, you just described Billy Napier." So, <laughs> It, you're just going to roll the dice with another guy that is Billy Napier again. And and so I'm looking at it like if Napier didn't have a guy like Lagway in the fold, like if he's like, oh, I'm an offensive guy, I'm going to get – he's got that top quarterback in the door. I'm very interested. I, I think that could be his saving grace early on. And, and I think that if you start over, are you going to keep – these top guys that you have. And I'd say the answer right now from what we've seen from Alabama, what we've seen in other programs, I think the answer is no. I think you lose a lot of your your roster goes out the door tomorrow and you're starting almost from scratch in some areas. Now, Alabama starting from scratch looks a lot nicer than a lot of people starting from scratch because <laughs> Alabama still, they're still going to be in the college football playoff and they still got a heck of a roster <laughs> sitting there in Tuscaloosa. That's not the right. case in Gainesville. Can't, we can't really afford to do that. So I think people should start thinking in those terms and not just thinking turnover for the sake of turnover on that. So, And that's not a Billy Napier defense. If anybody was the coach right now, I'd be saying the same thing. How many times are we going to do this? Are we going to be the school that just rolls over every three years like this? Or are we going to take the time and invest in something? And I know that Billy Napier, you would not give him straight A's on the report card at all right now. Like, you wouldn't give him any A's right now, actually, at all. But he he does have the pro, the profile makes sense. He's getting top guys in the door. There are some things that have worked against him early on. There are some things that are his fault. There are some things that are extenuating circumstances so far. And, and I do think that... Uh, that's a lot of explaining. And when you have to explain that much, maybe you should move on, Mike. I don't know. But I do think <laughs> that there is another point. There, there's a more nuanced way to look at the situation right now with Napier and just the higher fire thing. Okay, cool. So it's Jed Fish. And by the way, Jed Fish is a cool story because if anybody knows how he got his start at Florida, he just was leaving notes on Spurrier's car as a student. And he was roommates with Howie Roseman, the, the Eagles GM at Florida. Mm. So like, he's got a cool background, a cool connection with Florida. But again, is Jed fish a guarantee? If I told you three years ago that Jed fish was the solution, people would have been like, what? <laughs> like, 
<laughs> I don't know. And he just took a new job, by the way. So he's a little occupied with the new job he's got up in Seattle at the moment. But I, I don't know. So we're going to go down to USF and hire the old Tennessee offensive coordinator into <laughs> next year. Like, and then it's going to be the same story, Mike. It's, we're, I don't know. Right. But I'll leave you with this, Nick. I, I don't know if you saw this exchange I had with a friend of the show, Brad Powers. He, he's a professional Las Vegas handicapper. And uh, I was just talking over-unders, and I said Florida mm. over-under six. And he said, given their schedule to win six games, you'd have to be an average top 20 team in the country. And there's he, he said, no, no shot in hell is Florida top 20 in the nation, which I would agree with today. But that doesn't mean by the end of the season they can't rise to that level. But – uh, that's just kind of a sobering comment, and it just kind of goes to what you're saying of just just how difficult this this schedule is for the Gators. Yeah, look, there's a couple teams out there. I know that back half of the schedule we've mentioned, the, the front half of the schedule, the easy part, <laughs> quote-unquote the easy part, there's a lot of challenges on that easy part, too. There's there's a lot of that front half. you still got to go to Knoxville. Starkville's never an easy road trip, right? And then Kentucky, um, I'm not sure if, if – you paid close attention to the last five years of Florida and Kentucky. It's no guarantee anymore though. So it's Kentucky is a thorn in our side. Like when Mark Stoops was about to leave Kentucky like that, when there's A&M rumors for flying, I was like, yes, I was way too fired up about Mark Stoops leaving Kentucky, but I have respect for Kentucky. They, they have, they have handled us in recent years. And, uh, I don't want to have respect for Kentucky. I want to go back to not respecting <laughs> Kentucky and just marking the W when the schedule comes out, but you have to. They've done a great job up in Lexington. Um, Miami's certainly a toss-up early on there. A&M's a toss-up. You, you got coming in the swamp. So it depends on where that schedule is in that first half. We have to really do well in that first half of the schedule. But we were 5-2 and two at the turn this year. You know, Every year there's that bye week before Georgia, so that's kind of our midseason routine. So we mm -hmm. have that. So we are five and two because we beat South Carolina going into that Georgia game, and it, things were optimistic. People people were feeling real good about the team, and and that that South Carolina game we had lost a lot of those close games with Billy Napier. We come through and we win one. That, that's great. We were pretty high going into that, thinking like, okay, like Georgia's going to be tough, but Arkansas at home, you got Missouri, you got a couple winnable games here. Maybe we pull the upset, Florida State. Maybe it's seven eight wins. And you end up losing just five straight to end the season. That, that's tough. So we saw that happen this year. Where the, the front half was solid, and the back half just destroyed you. So I think we're setting up for a similar thing. I think because that happened last year, people are going to be more inclined to say it's going to happen again. Um, hey, like I find Lane Kiffin as entertaining as anybody. I understand Old Miss just tore up the transfer portal. I listen to your show, Mike. I know you love Old Miss right now. But would you be shocked if that turned into a disaster situation? Would you be stunned? Not at all. No, dude. No. Like, so they're coming in November. So if they're competing for a playoff spot, yeah, we're in trouble potentially. But if the wheels fall off the bus sometime in October and there's, you know, infighting on the team and it's a transfer heavy team and guys are split and Lane's talking trash about this guy on Twitter or that, I don't know, more leaked tapes of Lane Kiffin talking to people like come out i don't know like there's a lot that can old miss is one of those teams that like they're gonna be wildly entertaining one way or the other this year uh but lsu is certainly a tough game not impossible we've been competitive with them for a couple of years there and hey although texas did make that playoff run 
they were super competitive with a lot of Big 12 teams last year. How are they mm-hmm. going to handle that week-to-week grind? We get that team in November. So let's let's see what happens. Let's see what happens. So right now the schedule looks a certain way. It might look a lot different by the middle of October, though. So I, I don't want to write anything off with this team uh, right now, but certainly where we stand for what we know the rosters to be at this moment here on this uh, wonderful day in early February, uh, it, it does look pretty rough to get to six right now. I would say that that under is probably – the way to lean at the moment, but who knows? It might look different. It might look different down the road. Right. We came into this conversation saying we're going to be positive. I don't know that we accomplished that goal, but it is what it is. Nick, before you go, can you tell the audience, how can they follow you? How can they find your work? Uh, yeah. My name's Nick Knudsen. I'm with uh, Read and Reaction. Uh, we do a weekly show called Stand Up and Holler. I do it with my co-host, Will Miles. He also uh, does another show with Gators Breakdown as well, but Read and Reaction is a blog. Green Reaction YouTube channel, Stand Up and Holler. And again, one of the things that Will and I, we try to do on the show, it's not just about feeling good all the time. We try to we try to tell it like it is. We want to tell the full story. Uh, that's why I give really long answers when Mike says, are you on the hot seat? It's not a yes, no question for me. <laughs> we try to tell the full picture. We try to tell the full picture. And not all the answers are pretty right now. So that's why I'm I'm just saying what I'm seeing at the moment. So I'm try, trying to be realistic about the situation and like we don't we don't sugarcoat it when think because we do have a championship standard. We want to see this program get back to where we believe it, it should belong. And I, I do think there is a path here. It's just that path it, it's it's shrinking a little bit. It's become more and more narrow. They got to hit a, a much smaller window here, Mike. So hopefully they can get it done. We'll see how it goes. I, I just can't wait for the Gators to go start five and zero and see the playoff tweets coming from Nick. He'll, he'll, he'll throw all that in the gutter. We're going to the playoffs <laughs> under Billy Napier, year three. Year three's the year. Hey, I, I like I said, I like Napier. I'm root, I'm rooting for the guy. I just it's it's tough right now, and and our we are relentless too. Our fan base is relentless. It is the type of job that does eat up coaches, uh, but at the same time. I do not like. I do not want to go into the higher fire cycle every three years. I think you do need to. I, I, I'm more patient than a lot of people, so I might not. This might not be a popular opinion among Florida fans, but I would like to see Napier get more time, and I would like to see. I think Scott Strickland's definitely got a vested interest there because he's probably going before <laughs> Napier if they go down that road. So, but I do think Napier's got that kind of support in Gainesville. And I think that's something that should be considered that I think the national conversation misses. I think they miss just how committed that to, the, to Napier that the administration is. So I, I do believe that this administration, you know, short of going some disastrous three and nine or something this year, I, I do believe Bill Napier will be the head coach of the University of Florida going into the 2025 season. Hey, buddy, this beer's for you, Mike, and Cousin Shane. That SEC podcast loves the Pirate, and the Pirate loves that SEC podcast. Hail State.